Hey, Deer Creek Church. Welcome to Good Friday. Thanks for joining us. This is one of my favorite nights in the faith calendar because we get to reflect on one of the most significant events in human history. I told my uh, six-year-old daughter that I was going to be preaching for Good Friday, and I asked her, uh, what, what happened on Good Friday? I was trying to test her, and she said, Jesus died on the cross. And I thought, yes, parenting win. And then she got this weird look on her face, and she said, why do they call it Good Friday? And I, I thought I'd play along a little bit, and I asked her, well, what do you think they should call it? And she said, they should call it Bad Friday or Sad Friday. And you know, from one perspective, she is absolutely right. It, this is a sad night to remember. But, but from another perspective, it's one of the most wonderful nights ever. And that's what we're going to be reflecting on tonight together. I want to start by asking you a question. Would you answer this for me? What is your biggest problem? Is it the coronavirus? Is it the quarantine that you're currently facing? Is it a lack of toilet paper or other supplies? Maybe it's economic. You're experiencing job loss or reduced hours. Maybe it's, it's homeschooling in this uh, season where the schools are shut down. It may be a mental health issue or a relationship issue. Maybe tonight you're fearful of death. What is your biggest problem? And now, I don't want to minimize any of those problems at all. They are all very real. But I do want to suggest tonight that none of those things are actually your biggest problem. In the book of Leviticus, in, in chapter 16, we read about a ritual that God gave the people of Israel, his people, um, to help them deal with their biggest problem. And that's what we're going to be reflecting on tonight as, uh, in the few minutes that we have together. So we're going to see four things. We're going to see our biggest problem, the ritual, the reality, and then what it all means for us tonight. So what is the big problem that the people of God were facing in Leviticus? Well, first we need to do a little background work before we dive into that. Um, in the book, the, the, the book of Exodus comes right before the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And, and in the book of Exodus, the people of God are wandering in the wilderness. And he gives them instructions for building what's called the tabernacle. This is sort of like a, a portable temple, a, a tent it's actually referred to as a tent of meeting. And it was a place where the presence of God would dwell among his people. It was a wonderful thing that God would, would do that, that he would dwell among his people. But it also revealed a problem, a big problem. And we read this at the beginning of Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 say this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. Here we see a warning. Don't come into the tabernacle 
into the holy place behind the veil which separates the rest of the tabernacle from, from the holy place where God's presence would dwell. And, and if you try and do that at any time, you will die. And, and this instruction is not given to just anybody. It's given to Aaron, the chief priest. He says, don't do what your sons did. They drew near before the Lord and they died. Here we get a glimpse into our biggest problem. Simply stated, God is holy and we are not. God is pure and righteous and set apart and we are broken and sinful and unrighteous. That's what's being communicated. We don't belong in God's presence because of our sin. And left to ourselves, we are separated from God because of our sins. A few verses later, we read a few more details about this big problem. In Leviticus 16, 16, we read, Thus he shall, Aaron, shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, because of their transgressions and all their sins. We see that the people are unclean. This is the idea of being polluted. What was once pure is now infected by something that shouldn't be there. It's like fresh air mixed with smog. They're unclean. They're practicing transgressions. They're, they're breaking away from and rebelling against God. They know the good things that God has instructed them to do. They even actually know the character of God. This is the God who rescued them from Egypt and yet they choose to disobey. It's like a, a wayward child rebelling against their parents. They're transgressor, transgressors. And in the end it says, all their sins, which is just a big category for saying their, their attitudes and their actions, they, they didn't do the things that God commanded them to do, and, and they or they, they didn't do the things God commanded them to do, and they did do the things he commanded them not to do. All of their sins. At their core, the Israelites, the people of God, were living out the same script that Adam and Eve originally did. They wanted to be God. They wanted to be independent of God's rule. And if we're honest, we're the exact same way. I am unclean. I am a transgressor. I have a big sin problem. And so do you. We have a sin problem that ultimately leads to separation and broken relationship with God. And that's why God said to Aaron, don't come in at just any time. Don't come into the tent of meeting casually or you will die. That's the big problem. Sin separates us from God. So that's the problem. Now, now the ritual. We see that God directed the Israelites to deal with their biggest problem, their sin and separation, by doing a ritual. We'll, we'll read the ritual they were given um, on this particular day. It's called the Day of Atonement. And Jewish people refer to it today as Yom Kippur. It's their most holy day. The ritual is going to sound strange to us because we don't generally have as many rituals in our days. It's certainly nothing like this. 
And, uh, but we do have some. So can you imagine with me for a moment if, if you were from a remote indigenous tribe somewhere else in the world with no contact to anyone else and you attended an American graduation ceremony? You would have all kinds of questions about what's happening in this ritual. Why are people all dressed the same? Why is there a tassel that gets moved from one side to the other? Why do we have to sit through every single name being called one by one? What is going on with that? Well, we see that a a ritual represents a greater reality. There's more going on than just what we see happening. And the same is true in the Day of Atonement. This may seem foreign to us, but every aspect is communicating something to the Israelites and to us today, if we'll listen. All of the elements and the details communicate something about God and something about us. Now, I won't explain every detail, but we'll do a flyover of the ritual real quick. This ritual for the Day of Atonement had certain preparations. Before Aaron, the high priest could enter into the holy place, the tabernacle, he had to get a bull, we're told, for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He had to to bathe, he had to wash himself, and he had to put on plain linen clothing, the clothing a servant would wear. And this is in in contrast to what he would normally wear, which was this this, um, very expensive garment with, with jewels and gold that's woven into it. And that's, that w- that's what he would wear when he would represent God to the people. But, it, but in this ceremony, in this ritual, he's representing the people to God and he puts on these plain linen clothes. And then um, we're told he, he's to get two male goats from the people for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And these two goats were to be brought out and they would cast lots to see the fate of each goat. This is kind of like the ancient equivalent of flipping a coin, deciding something by chance. And one goat would be chosen as a sacrifice for the sin offering. And the other goat would be sent away into the wilderness, we'll see. So those were the preparations for the ritual of the Day of Atonement. Now for the actual ritual. Again, I'm not going to explain every detail, but you, you can get the sense from this. The ritual begins with Aaron sacrificing, killing a bull. It says to atone for his own sins and the sins of his family. This was necessary because the guy who was supposed to represent the people to God had sin of his own. And so a bull is sacrificed. Then he takes coals from, from the fire that's on the altar outside in the courtyard and two handfuls of incense. And he enters into the tabernacle and past the veil, and he throws the incense on the fire, on those coals. And this this cloud uh, of aroma and, and this cloud of incense covers the mercy seat, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Most Holy Place. And then he's told to take the blood of the, of the bull that was sacrificed and sprinkle it on the mercy seat seven times. Just, just imagine what's going on here. 
When he finishes that, he, he goes out of the most holy place, out of the tabernacle, and then goes back in and repeats the process again, but this time on behalf of the people. A sin offering, this time a goat, and he enters back in and he sprinkles the blood of the goat on the mercy seat, just as before. And we're reminded again of why all this is happening. Leviticus 16, 16 says, Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. Again, sin is their big problem. Then Aaron sprinkles the blood on the tent of meeting and on the altar outside again seven times. All of these things are significant. And now we come to that second goat, the one that was left alive. And we read this. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sin. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness, someone who's been assigned to do this. And the goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And the ceremony ends by Aaron taking off that linen garment and leaving it in the tabernacle, washing himself again, and then um, sacrificing, offering the rams as a burnt offering for himself and for the people. And this ritual, we're told, is to happen every year, year after year, to atone for the sins of the people, to deal with their biggest problem, separation from God because of sin. Now, this is a strange ritual to our ears. It, it sounds gory and, and gross. But as I said before, all of the details are communicating something to us that's profound about God and about us. And I could say a lot here, but I'll, I'll just say a couple real quick things. In the Day of Atonement, we see that God is holy and set apart. And to enter God's presence, you need a sinless high priest to represent the people. That's why Aaron had to take care of his own sins and the sins of his family before he can represent the people. We see that to have sin forgiven and relationship restored, blood was required. And blood represents the death of something. That's why all these animals are being killed in this ritual. The penalty for sin is death in order to satisfy God's justice. Finally, we see that sin not only needs to be forgiven, but we need our guilt and impurity removed. That's why the goat was sent outside of the camp to symbolically remove these things from the people. That, that was the ritual and at least some of what was being communicated there. There's a, there's a lot more, but at least some of the significant things that were being communicated. So now for the reality. Around 1,500 years later, a Jewish rabbi was accused of blasphemy. He was arrested, was falsely tried, and convicted. He was beaten and mocked. 
and sent outside of the city to be crucified by Roman soldiers on a wooden cross. His blood was spilled. He died and was buried. And if you were an outsider, someone in in that crowd at the crucifixion or, or Pontius Pilate, that's all you would have perceived happened. That was just a bad Friday for that guy. Or a sad Friday, as as my daughter said. But that's not all that was going on. On Friday, Jesus was crucified, yes. But so much more was happening than you could ever imagine. Things that are actually good for us. The New Testament writers, guided by the Holy Spirit, reflected on this event and told us what was really going on. In Hebrews 7, the writer, speaking of Jesus, says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the people, just like Aaron did. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. It's referring to the cross. Aaron, the high priest who represented the people to God, he was just meant to be a picture, a shadow, a type of the reality that was coming in Jesus. Aaron was weak, just like us, just like you and me. He had his own sin to deal with. But Jesus is the ultimate sinless high priest. In Hebrews 9, we read, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent, it's talking about this picture of the tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, a different kind of tent, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood, of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The sacrifices of the Day of Atonement were just meant to be pictures, representations, to show us that death was required to pay for sin. Jesus, through his own death on the cross, was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. We read that he entered into the holy place. This is all the same imagery that we read from the Day of Atonement. Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And by doing this, he secured our redemption. Not just symbolically one day each year, but forever. His death paid the penalty for sins and satisfied the justice of God. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And finally, Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat, the one sent outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 12 says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. On the day Jesus was crucified, he was taken outside the city of Jerusalem. 
You have to see the irony here. What was inside the city of Jerusalem? Well, it was the temple, the the permanent structure where the presence of God was to dwell. That's the one place where Jesus belonged, don't you see? And yet he gave himself over to a sinner's death outside the gate. So he could sanctify us and make us holy, set apart and sacred. To purify us from, from the pollution and impurity of sin. The ritual of the Day of Atonement finds its full and final reality in another Day of Atonement. Good Friday. Don't you see, friends, that that tonight is a good night because it's the night that Jesus dealt with your biggest problem and mine. He secured our redemption. He paid the penalty for our sin and he removed our guilt and impurity. That's the reality that the ritual pointed to. So we've talked about our problem, the ritual, and the reality. Why does it matter? What does this mean for us today, tonight, in a time of worldwide pandemic when we're experiencing all kinds of very, very real problems? Well, I want to talk to two groups of people just for a moment tonight. First, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you somehow stumbled onto this message or were invited to watch it by a friend or family member and you made it this far, just want to congratulate you. Good work. Good work. But I also want to challenge you to consider doing something with what you've just heard. If what I'm saying is true, that sin is my biggest problem and your biggest problem, and Jesus is the only solution, then I would encourage you, give your sin to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. He loves you. He suffered and died so that you could be forgiven and draw near to the God who made you. I know that the challenges caused by the coronavirus have made many people more spiritually open. Problems tend to do that to us, right? And I would just ask you to consider this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, even if all your other problems went away, And they never do, by the way. Money problems, relationship problems, virus problems, everything goes away. But you still have this problem, sin and separation from God. Are you really better off? I would encourage you to consider that. I I personally believe that God has allowed this season of suffering in part to wake us up spiritually. God is so powerful and wise that he can even use the difficulties in our lives to produce good things. In my own spiritual journey, I discovered that a lot of the small problems that I couldn't manage and didn't know what to do with were just signals of something that was deeper, that was wrong with me. And I heard the message about Jesus and I gave my life to him as a college student Can I just encourage you, give your sin to Jesus. Settle your biggest problem tonight. 
be reconciled to God. Make this a wonderfully good Friday for you. You can pray something like this. Jesus, I know that my sin is my big problem. Thank you that you came and died to pay the penalty for my sin. Would you forgive me all my sins and give me a new life with you? And friends, he will. He will forgive you. It's the first group. Now for the second group. If you're watching tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, can I just say, be encouraged. Jesus dealt with the biggest problem that you could possibly face. He forgave your sins and gave you full access to God. In the grand scheme, while while you and I may face very real, significant problems, we only have temporary problems. Every problem we currently face will one day be resolved. Draw near to God in this difficult season. The way into the presence of God has been opened to you through Jesus. Worship God. Thank him. Walk with him in the midst of your difficulties. As uh, we wrap up tonight, I just want to leave you with, with one thought. You know, we've become so accustomed to the presence, the reality of sin in us and in the world around us that that sometimes it can just feel normal, can't it? Friends, it's not normal. This is not how things should be. Our world was not intended to include things like the coronavirus. Death was not a part of God's original design for us. Sickness, broken relationships, mental health challenges, financial strain, forced homeschooling. These are not how things should be. Okay, I, I kind of uh, fudged on that last one. Um, but if you, if you really think about it, we feel this, don't we? The other night I was talking with my kids about how Adam and Eve committed the first sin. And I asked my, my two older girls, can you imagine what the world was like before sin? Before anyone became angry, before any disease, before any suffering, before death, when no one did any wrong. And my, my daughter got, got tears in her eyes. And then we all did. As we imagined a world where sin doesn't even exist. It was a beautiful kind of little family moment. Friends, I want to tell you tonight, that world is coming again. When Jesus, who has already dealt with the penalty of our sin, he's already in the process of destroying the power of sin in our lives, will fully eradicate the presence of sin on the earth and in us. And every problem will be gone. And we know this. Because Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose to new life. How good is that? So tonight, Friday, it's it's a good Friday. 
Not because we did anything to deserve it, but because of God's great love for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you've loved us. We, we don't deserve or belong in your presence, none of us, except your son, Jesus. And yet he was sent outside the gate. The sinless high priest died for us. May you give us grateful hearts tonight. May you strengthen us as we navigate the challenges of life. Because we know that you are with us and you are doing something about all that is wrong with this world. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.